My pleasure to introduce uh, Robert uh, Prater. Uh, some of the facts, if you don't know, some of you know him, um, but those of you who don't, Robert has been preaching or the preaching minister for the Central Church of Christ in Shawnee, Oklahoma since 2004. Uh, another thing that I know about him, he's been a director of uh, Camp uh, Burt, Burnt Cabin. Uh, he served as director of that camp since 2006, so probably a lot of our young people know him uh, because of that. Uh, currently working, continuing his education, continuing his training, pursuing a master, uh, master's degree at Oklahoma Christian uh, University. Spoken there at meetings and so on and so forth throughout the states. Uh, says here he's been married to his wife Maggie for 15 years, three children, uh, Megan and Mackenzie, who I think are here tonight with him, and Camden, uh, who is with mom. Uh, so those are the things that he, uh, you know, that I know about him, uh, that part of his biography. But the thing that I know about him, just from knowing him for the last couple of years since I've been back, is that uh, he has one very important quality as a minister that I admire and that I appreciate. And that is, he is a promoter of church unity. You know, every preacher's got a project or something. You know, I do TV. You know, everybody knows that about me. Well, the preachers who know about him know that he truly loves the church and promotes unity among the brethren, especially in this area uh, of, uh, of the county. Um, he uh, sponsors and organizes a preacher's luncheon, um, each week out in Shawnee that uh, Marty and I attend from time to time. Wonderful fellowship, get a chance to, you know, talk to different ministers, share with them. And also, uh, he's one of the individuals that promotes the um, a, a New Year's Day fellowship where uh, I don't know how many congregations attend. We, we've brought many of our members to that. Um, how many were there last year? I forget. Rough number, preacher count. Under 10,000, anyways. Well, the Expo, I know one thing, the Expo Center, their big hall was packed last year. So uh, to hear, about 600. So to hear that many, you know, a lot of smaller churches don't have an opportunity to gather with this many brethren and hear the marvelous singing and the great preaching uh, that they do. But that type of thing requires a lot of planning, a lot of organization, you know, and I know that uh, Robert is one of the uh, leaders uh, of that particular project. So I really admire him. I really appreciate what he does. I won't take any more of his time as he comes and speaks to us uh, on the selected topic. I appreciate that, Mike, so much. I'm wondering what that's going to cost me at the next preacher's, preacher's luncheon. <laughs> when his ticket is over near me, saying, you remember that nice introduction I gave you? I appreciate that a lot. I've enjoyed getting to know Mike the last uh, several years since, I've, uh, uh, since he's been coming over there and been back here at Choctaw. Uh, of course, I've known Marty a lot longer, and I guess there's a part of me that's uh, sad that he's not here, but also glad that he's not here because he, he knows some dirt on me. Marty, it was mentioned that I am now the director of the, uh, the camp session that your, your children go to. And by the way, uh, I appreciate all the support that we receive every summer uh, from this congregation. 
particularly the fine young people that you send us. We've had a number of other churches that have come and kind of come one year, come two years, and then not come back for various reasons. But uh, Choctaw has been a, a, a stable, stable group and a wonderful group of children every summer. And so I want to say that before I forget. I, I, I mean that with all my heart. And my, if my wife was here tonight, she would be uh, nodding her head. But the Choctaw uh, kids are some of the best kids every summer there. And so I, I appreciate this congregation, you as parents and grandparents for that. But yes, I've been able to direct since 2006. I directed two years, co-directed two years before that with Marty. But I go a lot further back with Marty as, as well. Uh, when I was in high school, Marty was a counselor at Burnt Cabin. Uh, and so he was my counselor for, I think, a year or two. Uh, Marty was the preacher in uh, Tulsa at the Carbondale Congregation where my wife grew up. Her father was an elder there. And so uh, when I started coming along, uh, I think I, Maggie and I, I was a junior in high school. Uh, my wife, uh, Maggie, she was a se- senior. But we started, I started coming to Choctaw naturally on Sunday, showing up there. So Marty's known me for a number of years and has seen me uh, maybe at uh, my best and probably at my worst, too. So uh, if he was here, I'm sure he would have a little bit to, uh, uh, to maybe uh, share about me. So I guess I'm, I'm glad in that sense. But I do appreciate Marty and Debbie and their wonderful family uh, working here with this congregation. Okay, tonight I, I'm talking about the, uh, the assigned theme that you've been looking at all summer, and I've I'm very excited about that theme and that topic of what the church needs to hear. A lot of people telling us today what the church needs to hear. Uh, A lot of different voices. You can go to uh, Christian lectureships. You can go to Christian bookstores and see all kinds of bestsellers and books about church growth and what the church needs to know and what the church needs to be doing and all kinds of vast array of, of opinions and ideas. And so uh, that's a topic that people are concerned about. What, what do we need to be doing as the church? What do we need to be hearing as the church? What should be our focus and priority? And I, I just glanced at some of the topics that you have heard this summer. And I respect all of the speakers uh, tremendously. And they have brought, I think, a good variety of topics, uh, it looks like, about what the church of our Lord Jesus Christ needs to hear. Uh, because we are living in a time, in a culture, in a religious uh, environment where, uh, as Paul talked about in Second Timothy, there's a lot of people that want to tickle our ears. And uh, we want to hear the Word of God and know what God would have us to do. And so I'm thankful that you've heard good lessons, solid Bible lessons, on uh, the various topics that uh, you've been uh, hearing from these men. And I'm glad that I have the topic that I have. We're going to talk about the love of God. And so I I think looking at all the topics and and lessons, surely it's appropriate that the church hears something about the love of God. Uh, Knowing and living in the love of God. You guys ever been to the Grand Canyon? Who's who's been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, quite a bit here. Uh, We went out a couple of years uh, back. We made our our trip west uh, with our family, and uh, I have some family in California. But we got to go to the Grand Canyon for the first time. And uh, we didn't, thankfully we had more time than the old, uh, I think there was the old crisp, the old vacation movie where they uh, rush, they finally get there and then they kind of, okay, here it is, let's get back in the car, kids. 
We got to stand there, you know, and, and, and look around. We didn't get to take one of those tours down into the, the canyon, but uh, we got to spend a little bit of time there. And just to stand there and to, at that rim, and to see that the magnitude of that beauty uh, is just, it's just amazing. Uh, to just kind of soak it in and to think about it. Uh, you're, just, you're just faced with God and the wonderful creator God that we serve and, and love. And I think in that same way, we, we want to think about that, the magnitude of the love of God tonight. We're going to take a very broad view, but we're going to be in a specific passage. So I like to be kind of anchored in a passage, a text. So look at Ephesians chapter 3. As we think about the theme of the love of God, and particularly two things tonight we're going to talk about, Knowing the love of God and living in the love of God. And so let's first think about knowing the love of God as we comprehend the, the, the magnificent, awesome, the magnitude, the beauty of God's love. And by the way, we have a hymn, uh, and I was so glad you guys have the hymn in your hymn book. Uh, it's number 133, The Love of God, but the third verse of that hymn says... Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched, though stretched from sky to sky. That, that hymn is simply saying just how awesome the magnitude of the love of God and we just kind of want to think about that tonight as we think about knowing and living in that love of God, making some practical observations. But from a passage in Ephesians chapter 3, this is a passage beginning in verse 14 through 20, uh, 21. You are familiar, this is a prayer of the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the church at Ephesus. It's actually a prayer that he really began in chapter 1. If you go back and really look at uh, around verse 15, he starts a prayer there. And uh, he kind of gets sidetracked, and now he kind of comes back to this prayer uh, here in chapter 3 and beginning in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, uh, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. And then he begins to pray and ask for some specific things for the church and for the Christians there at Ephesus. And we're going to be picking, focusing on one, uh, one part of this prayer. But he says in verse 16, I pray that our... Uh, that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in the inner being. That's a, that's a tremendous verse we could talk about, about being strengthened, being empowered in the inner man through the Spirit that's been given to us. And then he says, verse 17, so that Christ may, may dwell in your heart, so that Christ, in essence, can, can take permanent residence in your heart. I mean, wow, we had time to talk about that through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, and now verse 18 and 19 is what we want to kind of focus on. He prays that being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And he concludes there with the, uh, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more 
than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. But we're thinking about this, this love of God, the magnitude, uh, the magnificent love of God. And Paul wants us to think about just how to comprehend how long he talks about, how, how wide, how, how high, how deep it is. Uh, if you're reading there from the NIV, it says to grasp. Uh, the New American Standard says to comprehend. This is something that we do with our minds, this word, this idea here. You, uh, literally there, you seize it. You, you take control. You grab hold of it. Uh, you fully understand this with your mind uh, and your thoughts. Uh, grasp your mind around. Fully understand the depths with your mind, the height, the depth, the length, the width of the love of God. He says comprehend that, understand that. Now, in the, if you're reading from the NIV, he, 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 we have the object. Obviously, we're talking about the love of God that we're to comprehend. But in the original text, he doesn't supply the object. The NIV has kind of interpreted that for us, right, right, rightfully so here. Uh, he is talking about the love of God that we would grasp, that we would understand. And, of course, he specifically then in verse 19 does say that to know this love that surpasses knowledge but he says, fully grasp with your mind to understand uh, this love, to comprehend it, to embrace it. But then he says something amazing in verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, listen to what he says. He says, I want you to know the love of God. I want you to know the love of Christ. I, I want you to, to grab hold of it. I want you to seize it. I want you to comprehend it. I want you to contemplate it. And then in verse 19 he says, you really can't comprehend it. It's incomprehensible. He's saying here, I want you to grasp what you really can't grab hold of. I want you to comprehend what is really incomprehensible. I want you to know what you really fully can't know. And so we see the the dichotomy there, the, 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 the dilemma there. Is Paul asking us to do something that's impossible? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Paul is asking us, in that, in that sense, to do the impossible. That is, we can never fully, exhaustively comprehend the love of God. Uh, we can never fully understand all the dimensions of that great love of God with our mind. We, we're never going to be able to fully, exhaustively understand that love. And yet, obviously, we have to grow in this love. So he is telling us God does expect us to know it on some level, to understand it, to fully to, to comprehend it more. But yet he says it surpasses all knowledge. You're not going to uh, exhaust, be exhaustive in understanding it. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago there was a TV commercial. I, I don't know which, which company it was for that was doing the advertising. But they, it was with the Internet. And it had, I think it was a couple. They were in their home. And they were in the living room. And uh, he had just got 
internet access, you know, to the world wide web. And he wanted to go explore that. And he goes off into another room and, and he just starts exploring the internet. And he finally gets to the point where uh, he, he, he's been, been there for hours and hours and he, get, he, hit, he hits a note finally that uh, comes up on his screen. Uh, you've reached the end of the internet. There's nothing else to see. And he goes back in, he sits down in the living room, his wife is there, and she says, I thought you were, you know, on the internet. And he said, well, uh, I was, but uh, I'm done searching it. They said there's no more to search and see. And, of course, that's so ridiculous because even though there is a, a finite number of how many, I guess, sites there are on the internet, I have no idea how many, there is actually a number. that, you, But we're adding millions, literally, I would suspect, what, maybe daily? I don't know. Weekly? I mean, it's just, you're not going to exhaust it. And that's the same thing here with the love of God is we have to know it. We have to better understand it. We want to grasp it. But it's really incomprehensible. That's how big it is. See, I want us to broaden and see that large, uh, wonderful, magnificent, the magnitude of the love of God. Kind of standing there at the Grand Canyon. And just being in awe of that love of God uh, I, I, tonight here. And it's kind of as Paul. He, Paul makes a statement. We, we sing a song about this statement in Galatians 2.20. You know these, these words. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now notice this statement. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I've often wanted... And wondered what what Paul's expressions were like when he was writing these letters. And I almost just have to wonder there. You know, we sing this song so fast. You know, it's just a, I've been crucified with Christ. You know, we just blow right through it. And I just think, I just visualize Paul almost just so slowly writing and thinking that, you know, as he's been crucified with Christ and it's no longer... Uh, him that lives, but Christ living in me. And then he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Just the, the depth of that, the magnitude of that, that Christ died for Paul. And remember later on, Paul would write that I am the chief of sinners, right? So Paul would always tell folks, hey, you know, you got to get in line behind me. I was the worst and Christ died for me. Just that magnitude of that love. Okay, now back in Ephesians now. As we think about this love first, he mentions kind of four dimensions of this love. Back here in Ephesians 3, as he says, grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love. He, he says how, how wide is the love. The love of Christ embraces everyone. That's how, that's how wide it is. It embraces everyone. In Ephesians, and go back in chapter 2, we don't have time to look at this passage, but Paul talked about the division that existed between Jew and Gentile. And we know that the Jews, they had such animosity and hatred towards the Gentiles. I mean, if if, uh, uh, they would often pray, you know, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Uh, They would have funerals for their children if they married uh, a Gentile. And here in chapter 2, remember Paul talks about Christ is our peace. He's made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And then in chapter 3, earlier in chapter 3 and verse 6, this mystery, 
He talks about this mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. That is, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you, do you see the emphasis on together? Together? Because that was so foreign to the, Jew, the, Jew, the, the mind of the Jew. This was just for them. And Paul here in Ephesians is saying, look what Christ did. He tore down this, this barrier, this division between Jew and Gentile, and he made them into one. That's how wide the love of, of Christ is, the love of God is. And so it doesn't matter what the color of a person's skin is. It doesn't matter what language they speak. It doesn't matter which country they live in, what flag they, uh, they, they serve under in their country. The love of God, the love of Christ is this, is this wide. And he says it the length of it. How long is it? Uh, just think about that. The length. How, how long is it? Uh, go back in chapter uh, Ephesians chapter one verse four. This is how this is how long far back he goes. This look at the love of God. Look how far back this goes. How long it was. In eternity past, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Do you catch that? In eternity past, God was already thinking about me. He was already planning to send His Son to die on the cross for us. Uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty long. It's a pretty long time the, how long the, the love of God is, the love of Christ is. And then number three, the height. How high it is. It's so high that Paul uses this language in Ephesians back in chapter 2. That he'll speak of several times. That God raised us up together with Christ. And notice what he does. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms. That's where Christ seated us. That's how, that's how high it is. In the heavenly realms. And then how deep it is. Number four, the, the depth of it. He wants them to comprehend just how deep this love is. Of course, we, I mentioned already uh, that it could save the worst of sinners, the most vile sinners. Uh, no sin disqualifies anyone from the grace of God to be sa- can, that can be saved. Uh, we, we often, you know, we like to categorize and we like to classify and we like to kind of label certain sins. Well, this is really bad and, you know, this isn't quite as bad. And sometimes we like to highlight certain sins and the Bible doesn't give us any of that. The Bible just shows us what sin is. And regardless of what we might do, how awful it might be, how, how dreadful we might have become, uh, how vile, uh, no one is in a state that they can't be saved and they can't be reached by the, uh, the depth of the love of God. And we go back to Ephesians 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you, were, uh, which you lived and when you followed the ways of this world. And uh, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and, and thoughts. We were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of, verse 4, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. I mean, you, these, are, these verses are so familiar to us, but we want to come back and think about them again tonight. 
with this lesson on the love, the love of God. Now, before we talk about living in the love of God, I, I want us, before we move on and knowing the love of God, what can help us know the love of God? Well, we're doing it tonight. We are opening the Word of God. The theme for this summer has been what the church needs to hear. Well, Paul is writing. Paul is, is writing here to the, to the church, to the brethren at Ephesus. And he wants them to know. He wants them to understand. He has something they need to hear about this great love of God. And that's what we need uh, to, to, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the love of God. There's no, there's no bypass. There's no shortcuts. I'll talk to people sometimes and, and just on a regular basis and I'm struggling spiritually. I'm struggling in sin. I'm struggling with doubts and confusion and, and questions about uh, their faith. And do I really believe in God? And, and sometimes they'll want me to give them a, a very profound answer. What, what can I do, preacher? I mean, they're looking for some kind of secret or mystery to get their faith on track. And every time I tell them what I'm about to tell you, sometimes there's kind of a look of, isn't there more than that? Because I always say, open the Word of God. You're struggling in sin? Open the Word of God. You're struggling in doubt? Open the Word of God. You're struggling to know and comprehend God loves you or not? Open the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul writes here about this mystery. I mentioned that earlier, this mystery. And he says, Surely you've heard of the administration of God's grace in verse 2 that was given to me for you. That is the, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Notice, as I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Did you catch that, what, what Paul writes? You want to understand this? Then this is the purpose that I'm writing to you so that you can understand and know about this, this revelation that was given to me, this mystery, which the mystery was that the Gentiles could be saved, that the Gentiles were to be included as a part of the kingdom of God too. That was God's plan. And Paul says, I'm giving you insight that you can read this and understand this. What I'm saying to you tonight is there's no shortcuts here. It's the Word of God. Let me give you one passage in Jeremiah. I just love this verse. Uh, Jeremiah kind of gives us his passion. We see his passion for the Word of God, uh, particularly his fire and his bones, you remember, uh, from Jeremiah 20. But in Jeremiah 15, he kind of expressed this passion uh, again for the Word of God. And notice what he says here, Jeremiah 15, and the imagery that he uses here. I love this. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. He says, verse, 15, um, verse 16, When your words came, I ate them. <laughs> I mean, do you see the imagery that he uses there? Uh, I was so delighted in them. I was so much craving them that I, I just ate them. Now, obviously, he's using this this. This imagery here, this figure of speech, this expression about how, how it gave him great joy and great delight. That he just wanted to embrace the words of God and consume them. And didn't Jesus himself echo this same spirit when he talked about, Man shall not live, as he quoted from Deuteronomy, bread alone, 
But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. And by the way, that's, that's passive there. They shall be filled. God will fill us uh, when we consume His word. And we understand the fullness of God's love and His mercy and His goodness and His, ju- his judgments. All of the aspects of, of the nature of God we learn through the word of God. So what I'm saying is, to know the love of God, we must consume the Word of God and, uh, and see that teaches us about that. But Paul also now, well, let's talk about secondly, not just knowing this love. We're not here just for uh, information only tonight. We want to be practical as well. We want to live in the Word, in, in the love. Now, it, it might, we might miss it here when he says in verse 19, to know this love, the NIV says. And you say, well, Robert, I thought you were now going to talk about how we can live in the love of God. You just have been talking to us about knowing the love of God. Well, the word that's used here, know, uh, is, is an interesting word. Uh, there are a couple of words here. You can know something, comprehend something, uh, grasp something with your intellect. And that's what he's been talking about previously. Uh, the, the depth, the height, uh, the length of the love of God. But now he's talking about something besides just that kind of knowing. He's talking about something that's an intimate, personal, productive uh, relationship to something. Uh, Paul, is, uh, Paul is talking about something here that is, uh, is more than just intellect. To know by experience. To know by putting into practice. And so we get practical here. Uh, in this regard. He wants us to, to know the love of God, the, the love that surpasses knowledge, to, in a very personal way, in a very practical way, participate in this love. To know it. To love in the love of Christ. To live in it. And uh, I think that's the, the tougher of the two tonight. I, I think it's, if we were going to say one is easier than the other, I think it's, it's easier to comprehend and to think about and to try to wrap our minds around, although we know that it is incomprehensible, to focus on that, that knowledge of, of the, the depth and the, the height and the width of the love of God. I think it's much more of a challenge for us to think about how do I participate in the love of God? How do I live in the love of God? Well, let me go back to what Paul writes in Galatians 2. I, I, I quoted that verse, you know it. Again, we, we sing the, the, the devotional song, uh, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice verse 21, though. I do not set aside the grace of God. That statement there. I, I do not nullify the grace of God. To reject it as not being true. How do we do that? How would we nullify the grace of God, the love of God? How would we, would we reject it as not being true? Well, I think one would be to, uh, to try to justify ourselves by works of righteousness. And that's, of course, the context of the book of Galatians. For if the righteousness could be uh, gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And, you know, that was a major theme for the early church, a, a struggle being justified by uh, works of the law, keeping the law, acts of righteousness, Deeds that we might do that might justify us before God. Paul says you can't do that. 
It comes by the grace of God through our faith in Christ Jesus, which includes our obedience, mind you, our obedience. But uh, that's one way you can nullify it. And I think there are people who can convince themselves and think that, you know, I can be good enough. You know, if I have a good enough attitude and, and, uh, and live a good life and, you know, uh, positive thinking and, you know, better days are ahead of me if I'll just have heroic acts and, and no... We need, to, we need to understand that love and grace of God. But I think for a lot of people, it's, 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 not that, it's not so much that, but it's that they reject living in it. Uh, they live as, as though they're rejecting it. They live like they reject it. What I mean by that is they don't embrace it. They don't fully believe it. They just can't seem to believe that God would love them so much. The depth, the width, the height, how wide it is. Struggling with forgiveness, being overwhelmed with guilt, feeling so low and, and despise, despising themselves, refusing to accept the forgiveness that is theirs and that is ours in Christ Jesus. I don't know how it is here in Choctaw, I don't know how it is with, with, with Mike and, and with Marty, but I know in Shawnee, one of the issues that comes up from time to time with people that I'll talk to and whether it's in the church, or especially in the church even, is this sense of, uh, I don't deserve forgiveness. And I'm talking about especially with people who are members of the church. They've been baptized into Christ at one point. Uh, they're faithfully attending even, but they're not sure about their salvation. I just, I don't know if I've done enough. I, I, you know, and sometimes they'll mention things in the past, and I'll, I'll ask people sometimes, well, did you not ask for forgiveness about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I came forward, I asked for, you know, I prayed to God, but I just, what I'm saying is we struggle with this, this living in the love of God, fully embracing it in our lives. Christians who, who've repented but won't accept the forgiveness that's theirs. You've got to accept that. You've got to get beyond yourself and realize God says, I forgive you. God says, look at my love. Look how, how deep it is, how wide it is. Look at what I've given you in Christ. Live in it. Sometimes in the church, we, we're not acting as though we're living in this great love. Look what God's given us. Look what the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And sometimes we go around and, you know, we look miserable. <laughs> we're guilt-ridden. We shouldn't be. We should be like Paul, that uh, it's all the grace of God, the love of God. I am what I am. Remember what he says in 1 Corinthians? By the grace of God. Uh, and to know that love is to live in that love, to embrace that love. But also secondly here, as we kind of close with this regard of living in it, is we need to, as we live in the love of, of Christ, we need to love people like Christ. We need to show the love of Christ we need to live in it. We need to know it in an intimate, personal way. We need to participate in it by demonstrating it. Remember what John would write, of course, the apostle of love, as he's often thought about in 1 John chapter 3. Remember what he's writing to the Christians there about demonstrating that love? He says, this is how we, verse 16 of 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching through the book of Acts, and I was drawing out some lessons from the book of Acts. And I, I talked about the growth, naturally. That's a, that's a theme. You just the, the early church just was exploding, was growing. And I was looking at some of the reasons why the church was growing. And it's very obvious when you look at the book of Acts. This was a people who loved each other. They were a family. And it started on the very the day of Pentecost as 3,000 people were baptized. And they, many of those folks stayed in Jerusalem because they needed further teaching and instruction. And they didn't have anything. And so they began to... to to share what they had in common, and they began to look after each other, and you begin to see that, uh, that love, the family, togetherness of the church. And I, I talked about how I think if the world could see that and would see that more in the church, they'd come running. Because if you haven't noticed or not, people aren't getting that out here in the world too much, that love, that unconditional acceptance of, you know, we love you despite what you've done and where you've been and who you are. I mean, our world, they're not getting that. They ought to get that. They ought to see that in the church. And so we need to participate in this love by loving people like Christ loved people. And I think also in this regard, it involves forgiving others. Um, forgiving others. Remember what Paul would write later on in Ephesians chapter 4? As he would talk about, get hit, Paul always gets practical in his second half of his letters, typically. And that's what he's doing now, beginning in chapter 4, uh, particularly uh, beginning in verse 17. And he talks about, in t- verse 25, about putting off falsehood, speaking truthfully to your neighbor. And by the way, when we don't speak the truth to each other, we're not loving each other. Husbands, wives, when you're not speaking, when you're not telling the truth, when you're hiding things, you're not loving your spouse. We need to speak the truth to each other. But he goes on to talk about uh, don't get angry and, and, let the, and let the sun go down in your anger. Give place to the devil. If anyone has been stealing, he must steal no longer. He must work doing something useful with his own hands. But he gets down and talks about our, our, our words in verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for what is building up, building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. That's another way of saying that's how we love people. That's how we show our love to each other is in the words we speak. And too many times in too many homes, Christian homes, in too many churches, we're not speaking words that build up each other, that show love, but tear down each other so, so many times. And that, but he, then he goes on to talk about at the end here as we close there, verse 32, uh, verse 31, 32, get rid of all bitterness, wrath, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And verse 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That is how we participate in the love of Christ too, by forgiving each other. And i got to tell you, that is, that is so hard. Of all the things, maybe that may be the hardest when we've been wronged, when someone has hurt us, 
Our natural tendency is not to want to be forgiving and, and welcoming back. And we want to uh, put up a wall. And we want to be defensive. We have these me- mechanisms probably that uh, we have that, uh, you know, and we don't want to be like that. But I'm saying in the church, in our relationships with each other, especially when a brother or sister has wronged us and they ask for our forgiveness and they come forward even or whatever they might do to show that they're sorry and remorseful and, and they're trying to change and we don't forgive them. We, we put them on probation, right? You ever known Christians? You put them on probation. Well, you, you're going to have to show yourself to me now and, and uh, I don't quite trust you and I understand we, have, we lose trust and trust is gain to... to on some level. But what I'm saying is in in our relationships with each other, we've got to show the love of Christ by forgiving each other. Putting away those feelings of of bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and gossip and all those things. That is a demonstration of a lack of love in our hearts. He tells us here two beautiful things in this prayer. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 3, he tells us to We need to know this love of God, this love of Christ. He tells us how how wide it is and how deep it is and how long it is and how high it is. But then he's telling us we need to live in it as well. We need to know it in a very intimate, personal, participating way in our lives. And uh, it's not something we just come and learn about in a Bible class and say, isn't it wonderful how much God loves us? Yes, But we've got to go out and live in that love and show that love uh, in our lives as Christians. And so uh, may God help us do that. And may the church of Jesus Christ uh, know and live in the love of God that's in Christ Jesus.